whatever. <laughs> this happens. Hey, man! How you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, this, well, we're already sort of off to a good start here. Uh, so far, no libation, which is really funny about this. Neither one of us, I don't, I don't, I have not, uh, I have not uh, lubed up for this one, if so to speak. I don't know about you. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm three hours behind you, man. It's a little early for me to be drinking martinis. Yeah, I was glad to hear this. Yeah, and we're, we're, oh, good pull, by the way. Um, how do you like your martinis, Mark? Do I look like I give a damn? That was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, that was uh. The, wait, wait, no. Um, that was Craig, right? Because I remember didn't yes, Timothy Christina Dalton Rowe. didn't Timothy Dalton also have a a weird response to that? Or I don't recall. It's been a while. Okay, we're gonna get to that though. Real quick, we don't have any news tonight. It's just Mark and I. We're doing a James Bond special, part one of our James Bond special, which we've been sitting on for well over a year. In fact, we did. In fact. What our part two is going to be is our top ten favorite Bond films, which we actually already recorded once, right at the start of this whole pandemic thing thingamajig, and that was when I was having all sorts of problems. I was kind of on my own there for a while, and we did a James Bond special, and it was lost. Now, we did do um, our Who's Your Bond back in March of 2020. You can go find that, so Mark and I ran through... Uh, the six gentlemen that have played James Bond officially. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of a review of that tonight. But you can go back and hear our justifications a little bit more at length back in March of 2020 when we did this originally. But I have to say, before we get to this um, legacy character, there is one other legacy character uh, that I want to mention tonight. And that would be Captain Kirk, played by William Shatner, who literally went to space... At 90 years old. If only I could be that spry at 44. He is... <laughs> this man is an inspiration, okay? He really is. Just this guy that, at his age, he is just not... He was just in Shark Week, diving with sharks. Just this past summer. So, I mean... He just... And did, by the way, did you happen to see the one of the publicity photos? Yes, I think I know exactly which one you're talking about. He came out and they gave him his uniform, which was uh, a golden rod. And then the pilots were all wearing red shirts. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I got to get it. So I just want to say, you know, Mr. William Shatner, I got the chance to meet William Shatner at one point. Uh, We're good friends. He has no idea who I am. Um, And uh, he is such an inspiration. I just want to, you know, big round of applause for this guy. The world's grandpa is really who he is. I said that. Um, Stanley was kind of the world's grandpa, and then he passed on the torch uh, to William Shatner. By the way, both guys who are super spry in their 90s. So, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm a few years older than you, and I hope I can be – like, I wish I was like that now some days. I mean, this world I, – I am literally half his age, and I get up in the morning, and I feel like my hips don't work. So. <laughs> yeah, so oh, – yeah, but we're tonight we're going to talk about 007 – James Bond. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Mark, I don't think I've made a secret, but you're probably the biggest James Bond fan I know. So you're going to run the show here for us here in a second. But listen, he's the original franchise character on the silver screen, right? He predates any superhero or sci-fi epic. Everything from Star Trek to Star Wars, from Superman to Captain America, at least on the movie screen. Not in print, but absolutely on the movie screen. From 
absolutely. And tonight we're going to explore a couple of these things. There's a lot of myths that we're going to explore, and there's some uh, rumors that we're going to talk about. Um, and I like these movies because they're like they're time capsules in a way for music and fashion and politics, even storytelling sensibilities. And because of this, let's let's get this one thing out of the way now. A lot of these movies are very dated. Oh, yeah. But with Bond, very much so. they are a product of the time periods in which they are produced. Um, now, think of this. James Bond has managed to perhaps become the most famous fictional character without the assistance of any accoutrement. Like, he doesn't have a logo like Superman that he wears. Um, he doesn't have any other... Super, he doesn't have, like, a Batarang or a Batmobile. He's got a Walther PPK. He's got a great car. No mystical power, no starship. James Bond exists on his reputation. Um, I mean, when's the last time you saw a great James Bond cosplay? I mean, it's just a guy in a tuxedo, right? I mean, maybe holding a martini glass. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, you have to walk around doing this, otherwise, you're not going to know. Um, so, we're going to talk about a few things tonight, uh, James Bond. We're going to start this off with. We're going to go run down uh, a brief uh, reintroduction to our James Bonds, uh, and uh, we're going to keep it brief. We're going to expand a little bit on the gentleman who takes our top choice, um, but uh, do you want to go ahead and start, or do you want me to kick this one off? No, I, I can start. Let's. Uh, we're going to start with the top, you said? We're going to go uh, descending order, six to one. Descending order. Six to one. Okay, so we're starting at the end, all right, as usual, as per usual. All right, so, you know, I'm going to say that my my two bottom choices, I, I'm going to qualify this by saying that I don't think any of the gentlemen who have played Bond have been bad. I agree. I, like I don't think any of the six are bad. So this is purely a order of preference, not saying that anybody mm -hmm. at the end is bad. No, I enjoyed all of them. Um, I, I, I'd start at the end and say the worst, obviously David Niven, but, <laughs> but that's not official. So, I... Uh, I have not watched that. Uh, basically, I remember asking you, "Is like, should I check this out? And you just went, no, don't. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. Um, but no, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to start it. And I think my my end is actually just a tie. So I'm going to start with the one with the least credits to his name and say George Lazenby. Sure. And it's it's not that he was bad on Her Majesty's Secret Service. He was taken over from Big Shoes from Connery. Mm-hmm. Um, he had no acting experience. <laughs> he, he pretty much lied on his resume. We're going to talk about that at length so. a little bit at some point. So you're right, though. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, his chops weren't there yet. But considering that, you it tell. wasn't bad. I mean, yeah, there's some delivery that's bad. There's some woodenness. But I think he could have grown into a good bond. I would have which loved I'll to discuss see that later. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I, I think he just ends up being, you know, unfortunately unpolished. And I really was interested to see if he had two or three movies under his belt where he would have ended up. Yeah. So that's my number six, George Lazenby. My number six is George Lazenby. Um, again, just <laughs> the resume is, is really the sample size is so small. Um, you know, and I... I, I on his ma on Her Majesty's Secret Service is one of the franchise highlights for sure. We'll we'll get to that at some point. Um, and as much as I I would have liked to have seen more, I do I do find myself wondering if Connery or Roger Moore, if that was the end of Connery's run, 
or the beginning of Roger Moore's run, I think On Her Majesty's Secret Service doesn't make a lot of top tens because of George Lazenby. A bit unfair. But I wonder what it would have been like with either of the two of them. Because Roger Moore then eventually cemented himself as a lot of people's favorite Bond. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Go ahead. Sorry. Almost no, no worries. So my number five is going with the second least routings as mm-hmm. Bond with Timothy Dalton. And I adore Timothy Dalton. I think he is a hell of an actor. I love him in virtually everything I've seen him in. Um, I have loved him as everything from a voice in Toy Story to the TV show Penny Dreadful to the villain in The Rocketeer. And I also loved just... him in Doom Patrol. Oh, Doom Patrol. Yes, he's great as the chief. I mean, oh, I lo- fantastic as Calder. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. He's wonderful. I adore the guy. I just didn't feel he f- was Bond to me. And again, maybe that's because he only had two films under his belt, and one of them, which I'll get to in a little bit here, was particularly underwhelming. But um, I, I just don't think he got a chance to show what he could do, for one. But on the other hand, I also think that Timothy Dalton comes across a little too proper. He comes across a little too cultured. He comes across a little too stiff. And it just doesn't feel like Bond to me. He's a great actor. I just didn't feel he was a good match for what I feel as the character being a big fan of the school movies and the novels. I agree. My number five is Timothy Dalton. Again, I agree with you. Too brief a resume, only the two films. He also got stuck with that period where there was all the fighting going on. I don't know any of the details of it, but he was just sort of like dangled out there, you know, like yeah. just left in the wind and no one knew what was happening. He also wasn't the first choice, famously not the first choice. I think their audiences struggled to accept him. And it's so funny that uh, he was supposed to be um, the, the – he was going to be bring more physicality to the role because, you know, he was taking over for Roger Moore, who was nearing 60 by the time he was done. Um, he, got, he had an uphill battle, as most of them do have an uphill battle. I think only one guy, uh, someone we'll talk about, sort of didn't have that battle – um, but I mean, whoever comes in next, as we sit here uh, in, in October, as uh, Daniel Craig's final uh, entry has premiered, whoever's next has got an uphill battle for sure. So I agree with you. Timothy Dalton is my number five. All right. So my number four is Roger Moore. And uh, Roger Moore, I have to say, really surprised me. My wife and I went back and watched the entire Bond series from Dr. No up through Die Another Day last year. We didn't make it to the Craig films, but uh, we made it through the Brosnan run. And I have to say, uh, I grew up with a little bit of a prejudice against Roger Moore because my dad didn't like Roger Moore. He thought he was too comedic, too jokey. And so I grew up with that chip on my shoulder about him. Going back and watching the movies again, I like the guy. Yeah. I I firmly hold that my none of these people are bad. I I like Roger Moore just fine. (laughs) He was... He was a little more, yeah, he was a little more sarcastic, a little more jokey, a little more wink and a nod to the audience. And uh, that's not for everybody. I get it. But given the time frame, I understand why it was done. It was trying to do something new with it and differentiate him from the other bonds that came before. And for that, it worked. He's, He's his own thing. And I think he does it well. Yes, um, I agree with you. I'll, we'll speak a little bit more about Roger Moore here in a second. Um, now, let me say before I get to my number four, this is Mark and I both just said, we like everybody here. There isn't anyone that I'm even going to criticize. And this is a representative of our favorites. 
Um, not anything we're re representing as the best. But my number four is Daniel Craig. Um, again, here's a guy who had an uphill battle, right? Uh, to some degree. And, but perhaps no one silenced critics so quickly or more to the point brutally quite the way Daniel Craig did. At any point, he could be near or at the top of my list. Uh, if you look at all the other Bonds on this list, eh, maybe with Connery as an exception. Listen, Thanos would think twice about messing with this James Bond, okay? <laughs> um, he just has that, like, I, I mean, I know the, the thing was his, he was he had blonde hair. and uh, and Which, that was such a ridiculous backlash. I think it immediately made me like, oh, this guy's going to be great. I, I'm going to love this guy. Uh, I know we'll be speaking more on him soon, so I'm just going to go ahead and turn it back over to you, my friend. All right. So uh, I'm going to go with my number three and the, the top three. Let me tell you, these three are so neck and neck. It, it's not even funny. It is so close for me. I given on a given day, this list could rearrange. <laughs> but yep. my number three right now is Pierce Brosnan. And I think he gets relegated to the number three spot because he had the potential to be maybe the best Bond. Yes. And he just got so shafted by the movies he ended up in. <laughs> yeah, one of the things... Several of which are on my least favorite list, oh, I hate to say. Oh, yeah. And we'll talk a lot more about that. But uh, he, he did a great job. He waited a long time for that role. And when he struck out in it in GoldenEye, he knocked my socks off. I oh, loved yeah. it. I loved him. And I wish the series had continued on more in that regard. Because I think he could have really been something stellar. Oh, agreed. So my number three, Sir Roger Moore. What can you say? He was absolutely the James Bond for the 1970s. In fact, he went all the way through 1985 being the James Bond for the 1970s. This is one of those instances where the man behind the facade elevates his position. Moore seems like, to all who knew him, among the most kingly men to walk the, walk the earth. A truly wonderful human being by all accounts. I mean, his work for UNICEF speaks for itself. Um, you know, and one of the things he, he never... I know the, the joke is he, came, he kept coming back and kept coming back and stayed too long. He never politicked his way back in. He was always ass back. And, and at least for that last one of You to a Kill, I, I read that the only reason he came back is because they, they said they wanted a fresh start and they were going to lay off a lot of the crew, including... Um, Louis Maxwell, who played Money, and Robert Brown, who had played uh, M for a long time. They were even getting going to get rid of that time. They're going to get rid of Desmond Llewellyn. And he said, if they, if I go, they all go too. So he came back. Um, let's also say that, boy, we were, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that James Bond is a product of the music of the times and the fashion of the times. And boy, does he get the worst of that end. <laughs> And we're talking the sideburns, the turtlenecks, the bell bottoms, the disco. Yeah, self-aware psych eggs. You know, and let's also forget, you know, the politics of the time. Audiences were coming off of Vietnam. I don't think they wanted to go back and watch war movies. They wanted an escapism. You know, and the Englands were England was coming off the Falklands, which is so they needed something to go and like just I was with you. I dismissed him for a long time. Um but if you go on to the message boards like I have, there is a legion. Like, you will find him at the top spot on a lot of people's bond lists. Um, and by the way, nobody 
has better interviews about being James Bond than Roger Moore. Uh, so, uh, Darren, are, are you saying that nobody does it better? No. Is that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's, here are some of my favorite quotes of his. People always ask me if I do my own stunts. Of course I do. I also do my own lying. Um, I enjoy being a highly overpaid actor. My acting range has always been something between two extremes of raises left eyebrow, raises right eyebrow. The Bond situations to me are so ridiculous, so outrageous. I mean, this is a man who's supposed to be a spy, yet everyone knows he's a spy. He walks into a bar, and the bartender knows what he drinks. When asked about his range would change becoming Bond, he said, I added at least two more facial expressions to my repertoire. Um, so, listen. I love that one. <laughs> and by the way, he has the best voice of any of the Bonds. I could listen to this guy read a phone book, all right? And listen, listen. I'm not, I'm not going to say it too much more. He gets saddled with a lot of the worst you could possibly, the, the clown suit, the Tarzan. I, I'm glad, I think we both sort of arrived at like, I don't know, man, Roger Moore, he's, he's, he's pretty great. All right, moving on. Yeah, and, you know, I'll throw in with that and say that, you know, speaking of Roger Moore, and trust me, I'll get to the point in a sec. But um, I'm lucky in that my wife doesn't watch things like Twilight or, you know, stuff like that. We watch movies like Aliens. But the big thing that she watches is those Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh, yeah. And I, I can't abide those things. The acting, it's like high school plays and the directing is so awful. And um, she actually got me into watching them last year because I walked in the room while she was watching when I was like, ooh, Roger Moore. <laughs> and I sat down and I ended up watching a bunch of them with her because that was my gateway drug. <laughs> now I'm okay with them. <laughs> Not, I mean, I still don't love them, but I'm willing to indulge and enjoy them with her. Yes. And uh, I have Roger Moore to thank for giving me that time with my wife. <laughs> he's just, but, he does, he yeah. can even do that. He is so powerful, this guy. Getting down to the uh, top two here. Down to number two, I'll say that um, if you know me, this uh, is not shocking, but my number two is Sean Connery. Sean Connery uh, embodied the role of Bond so wonderfully from the get-go with Dr. No, and embodied that role so well that Ian Fleming rewrote the character's backstory to make him half Scottish. That's awesome. That so, awesome. you know, that, that tells you you're doing the right job. When the creator loves you so much, he starts changing the character in his books to be you. And uh, I think Connery just had the wonderful balance between snarky and sarcastic comments, but deadly serious brute force. I believed Sean Connery was a highly trained assassin in those movies back in the day. <laughs> and I just, you know, when I read the novels... That's the voice I hear in my head for Bond, no matter what. So, yes, he's my number two. And it sounds like he should be my number one. And again, that's a tight running. It, it, honestly, the top three are so close for me. And I've already tipped my hand because we've run through the rest who my number one is. But yeah, um, I think it just depends on how nostalgic I feel that day. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you're not alone because my number two is Sir Sean Connery. Um, and I'm just going to echo your sentiments. Far be it for me to disagree with anyone who wants to claim that Connery, the truest original Bond, is the best. After all, the man's silhouette is famous. With each new actor and every shaken martini, double entendre, surname emphasized introduction, and an awkward karate fight or two. 
Connery's leg and legacy is further cemented. He is the foundation on which the most legendary cinematic character was built and able to thrive. Origi the original women want him and men want to be him titan of the silver screen. While I only have him as my number two, even I must admit that he is the face I see and the voice I hear, just like you when I think about James Bond, a true icon in the, every sense of the term. Though throwing the word icon in, Bonnery, in Connery's Bond's direction does not seem quite enough. The term iconic is thrown around so often and so carelessly that it's sort of has lost its meaning. From my perspective, there needs to be a significant passage of time. An icon must be made to endure changing attitudes, desires, trends, genres... To put a fine point on anything or anyone with true iconicism, you couldn't do a whole lot better than placing Sean Connery in that famous pose, gun in one hand, drinking in the other, and that wry smile on his face next to the definition. To some degree, anyone who has ever been in an action film, or dreamt of being in an action film, or simply fantasized about being a cool guy, like in an action film, owes something to Sean Connery. Indeed. Well said, sir. Well said. Which moves me into my number one, Daniel Craig. And I will admit I was in the boat where I objected to Craig when he was cast, to the point where I did not go see the movie at first, despite being a huge Bond fan. And it wasn't just the blonde hair. I just didn't think he looked like what I imagined Bond looking like, based on previous films I'd seen him in. And uh, I had a friend that went and saw it, came back and said, I'm seeing it again. I'm taking you with me. I'm paying for your ticket. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, he dragged me to the theater to see it. And I'll tell you, Casino Royale was just... Daniel Craig didn't fill Sean Connery's shoes for me. He overspilled them. Uh, he, he embodied Ian Fleming's bond for me. The attitude, the violence, everything about it um i disagree with judy dench's m in that film where she refers to blonde as bond as a blunt instrument bond in the books is more of a knife in the dark and i feel that is daniel craig to a t his bond is a scary mother yeah he is, he is a guy that i would not want coming after me yeah, I, again, like you said, uh, ask me on a different day, I might give you a different answer. If I had seen, uh, if we were doing this after No Time to Die, I might, he might be at the top spot for me too. But my number one is Pierce Brosnan. Um, you know, I've heard that one will always be loyal to their first Bond. Well, it wasn't really my first exposure. His debut, GoldenEye, was the first one I caught in theaters. Um, when researching for this list, I came to the conclusion that for however a list like this would shape out for anyone, Brosnan did have one advantage over all five of the others. He seems to have been the only one who met with near-universal praise upon his announced casting. We all know that Lazenby's task was near insurmountable having to follow Connery. Moore had the same task to a lesser degree and was criticized for being older than Connery. Dalton had to take over for Moore, who had grown very popular in his 50-year stay as James Bond. Um, and was already at least the second choice. We know that for sure. Craig was not the first choice. We know that. And Blonde. I was even somewhat taken aback to find out that Connery had met with a great deal of recoil because they felt like the people, the books were very popular. And when they read the books, they did not see John uh, Sean Connery. 
and from Ian Fleming's novels. But it seems that the 007 fan base, who had been starved at that point for nearly a decade by the time Brosnan sauntered on the screen and breathed a very grateful sigh of relief, it was as if Brosnan had been genetically engineered to play James Bond. But, sadly, unnecessarily, perhaps undeservedly, he's also the only one of the six that was cast aside. Um... His run feels incomplete to me. He deserved to have, I think, one more movie to kind of make up for the three previous ones, which, by the way, could we all just say one thing about any of these guys? They didn't write the script. They didn't direct the movies, okay? So I, whenever you research these lists, you see people like how much they hate James Pierce Brosnan because of the movies. They're like, well, it wasn't his fault. No, um, not at all. <laughs> I feel bad for it. I do, too. You said it yourself. He should. I mean, this conversation should begin and end with him. But it doesn't. I mean, he deserved so much better. Yeah, he, true. His movies did get progressively worse and had begun to trends more trend more towards the Roger Moore era than what would become Daniel Craig's era. Audiences had begun to scoff at James Bond. He had become at that point more of a pop culture punchline than the epitome of cool. And by the way, uh, Austin Powers built a powerful, however brief, comedy empire, primarily sending up the Moore era, which was simultaneous. He didn't, that wasn't done any favors. And then Jason Bourne came along, which presented a tone that Bond fans were kind of like, yeah, see, that's what we're looking for. Uh, the damage was done and the blame was sort of laid at his feet. I mean, couldn't you just stop making crap movies? He was unjustly blamed. And I submit for your consideration the following 1999's World is Not Enough. Movie's terrible. There's no two ways about it maybe among the worst in the series. We'll get that. We'll get there. <laughs> but would you agree? Brosnan is working his butt off in this movie. Trying to like, he had to know like, oh my God, this thing sucks. So he's like doing all the heavy lifting. And look, with apologies to Sam Smith, uh, the writing was on the wall and they gave Brosnan Denise Richard as a Russian nuclear physicist named Christmas to work with. Uh, though it does have one of the best ad lib lines of the series when they're coming out of that tomb and she's like, oh, my name's Dr. Christmas Jones. Don't worry, I've heard all the jokes. And he goes, I don't know any doctor jokes. <laughs> so before the new Bond is cast, I did this once before, I'm going to do it again. I'm starting the rumor right here on this podcast that he's coming back for one more turn in Bond. After all, Michael Keaton is back as Batman <laughs> We can do this one more time. An aging Bond forced out of retirement. Battle an echo from the past. Maybe 006 still lives. I'd be all for it. I mean, why not? I, I would be all for casting a former Bond as a Bond villain. Is I it? mean, it was said before that Sean Connery offered to come out of retirement if he could be a Bond villain. I don't know why nobody took him up on this. Now, <laughs> was it? I heard a rumor, and this is a little bit of an, uh, an aside, that he was supposed to be the Brian Cox role in um, Skyfall. I, I the caretaker. Was oh, that it? wasn't Brian Cox. Who that was, was somebody. I, Albert um, Finney. Who was it? Oh, Albert thank Finney. you, Albert Finney. Yes, I was like, no, it wasn't Brian Cox. But um, yeah, I think that was supposed to be Sean Connery. Oh, okay, and he did not accept. All right, so Mark, before we move on and you take <clears> over, <throat> I have something fun I, I kind of want to do here, and I didn't want to tell you about this because I wanted this a surprise. Um, and it, it kind of leads into what we're doing next, which is we're going to list we're at some point, we're going to get to our top 10 favorite bond films. But what we're going to do before that is we're going to 
give you all the ones we don't like, and then from whatever number, we're going to go all the way up to 11 uh, with the rest of the films. Um, so we're going to go with basically our least favorite Bond films, and then our meh Bond films, and then our favorite Bond films. Much better said. Thank you. Uh, okay, so but here's the thing. I'm looking at a list of the James Bond films, and I want your take on this. So I have Connery did six. Mm-hmm. Of the six, I'm going to list these to you. Um, I want you to tell me which ones you like. Dr. No? Yep. Rush From Russia With Love? Yep. Goldfinger? Yep. Thunderball? Yep. You Only Live Twice? Yep. Diamonds Are Forever? Screw that. Okay. So, <laughs> for the record, Sean Connery's batting five for six of his movies, okay? Uh, we all know Lazenby's batting a thousand. Um <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to Roger Moore. Uh, famously, he's he did more than anyone. Diamonds Are Forever. Nope, sorry. Live and Let Die. Yeah. Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me. Yep. Moonraker. <laughs> no comment. Ah, so we're saying no on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan. <laughs> For your I, feel, I feel like we're kind of upending the whole uh, least favorites in Meh list now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get, uh, trying to index this a little bit. Do you just want me to skip ahead and come back to this? Yeah, this this feels like it's kind of giving our picks All before right, we're right. actually right. doing the list. Well, well, remind me to come back to this. I think you're right about that. All right, so well, go ahead and kick us off, man. Um, let's talk about these. <laughs> All right, well, as far as least favorite films go, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to save my least favorite for last on this list. Okay, so you want to start with the ones we're kind of, eh. The rest of them, I could put in any particular order except for two that are my least favorite. Yeah. So I'm going to save those for the end, I and then the everything same. else will just be kind of... I did the same. I The ones that sort of fall in between favorites and least favorites, I don't really have them in any particular order. But just so you yep. know... Um, two of them didn't make my list at all. And that's because I either have not seen them or it's been so long. The two that I don't have, uh, indexed here are the spy who loved me 1977 and for your, your eyes only 1981. So I just couldn't get around to seeing them. I'm going to do it this fall. So right now those two are off my list, but I still have 25 films on this list. Oh, going all the way. All right. Okay. Okay, so you're, you're playing loose with it. Got it. I like it. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to start off in no particular order. This isn't chronological. This isn't a favorite order. This is the order. I just happen to have it. And I'm going to start with the 16th Bond film, License to Kill in 1989. Uh, it was Timothy Dalton's second outing as Bond, and it just becomes a tedious revenge flick. Um, it's more of an excuse for stunts and violence than anything else. There's a convoluted infiltration by Bond to try to get back at the villain who attacked his friend and murdered his friend's wife, and it seems overly complex for a world-class assassin. Weren't they trying to capitalize on the Miami Vice thing, too? Yes, they were very much trying to capitalize on that. Film features, you know, Robert Davies is one of my favorite villainous actors. The guy is just awesomely menacing. And you've yeah. got a very young Benicio Del Toro as his henchman, wielding a... Uh, knife and being very uh unintimidating because he's so scrawny at that point in his career but <laughs> um i don't know just the whole movie feels hollow it feels like it could have been anybody 
and not just Bond. It it just it doesn't feel like there's anything there anchoring it to James Bond besides slapdash throwing Q into it midway through the film. I mean, it just it doesn't feel like a Bond film. It feels like a poorly written revenge flick. Okay. So, uh, keep going. Moving on, I think uh, my next one on the list is going to be 1979, the 11th Bond film, Moonraker. Um, you start off with a really good global espionage plot um, that starts going weird and off the rails once you hit, you know, Bond being attacked by a ninja in Italy. <laughs> 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 and, uh, then you get to the goofy, you know, overreaching plot by the villain. Was it a uh, Drax was the villain's name? I think so. Yeah. Hugo Drax. Right. And Captain uh, eyebrows. Yeah. Killing off the population with tux- with um, nerve gas so he could repopulate it with a genetically perfect master race on the space station. <laughs> And then you've got the return of Jaws in this film where he ends up in a weird romance with some nerdy girl working on the space station and totally turns from heel to hero. And I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it's but it's it just kind of a mess. so watchable, though. I mean, it's like the first time That's I saw the, this, like, <laughs> like if you like if you it's one of those. I mean, if you didn't hit pause and you went to get a drink, you're coming down. going, What the hell happened? Yeah, Where it's. Uh, we, I guess I I would probably consider it watchable if I had a six pack and a bunch of friends to mystery science theater it. See, so now some then of those, I'd probably really enjoy it. Some of those you can't even do that with, but you're right. <laughs> um, I'm going to go next to another Roger Moore film, 1983, 13th Bond film in the franchise, Octopussy. Oh, uh, Moore was starting to get a bit old at this point, and. Uh, the plot's convoluted and silly. Uh, Louis Jordan always makes a good bad guy, but there's not much else to remember in this film besides really poor attempts at comedy. Overall, the entire film just starts leaning really hard into slapstick. Yeah, this, he was a and clown it, in this one, right? This is the clown Yeah, line. that's the one with the circus stuff and the fake Fabergé eggs. And and then he was Tarzan at one point, wasn't it? Is yeah, he does one? the Tarzan yell. He dresses as a clown. Um, he dresses up as a cuban the beginning <laughs> is this like, also the one where the snake charmer is playing the james bond theme yes that's oh. that's the film yes and Man. then the title character of octopussy is like the only link to the actual short story that fleming wrote and her backstory surely maude adams was it again uh, she yeah, second time, her right? backstory and uh yes exactly second <laughs> i forgot about that but, um, yeah, the backstory she gives is reminiscent of the short story that Fleming wrote, but otherwise the entire story is just a made-up shindig, and I'm not sure what they expected it to be. It, it felt like it was just... I, I'm not sure they knew what direction they were taking it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, there we go. Uh, I'm going to follow that up with number 14, 1985's A View to a Kill. And uh, if Moore was getting old in Octopussy, he was way too old in The View to a Kill. He was definitely in the Methuselah. years old. He was in the Methuselah phase of his career. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, it's one of those things that 
he was getting up there in age, and the plot and the overall movie didn't do him any favors. It had its highlights. Um, Grace Jones as the henchwoman Mayday was fantastic. But Christopher Walken, who I'm usually a huge fan of, was extremely disappointing in his role as Max Zorin. I had a lot of trouble with him because if it had been his normal scenery-chewing glee that he's grown into over the years, I think it would have been something special. But he plays it so straight that he's boring. Christopher Walken is boring. One of the great songs, though. <laughs> oh, definitely. And I'm definitely not judging any of these based on their uh, theme songs. Uh, Duran Duran knocked it out of the park with that one. But um, it, it also comes down to, you know, flooding Silicon Valley. That's your master plot that Bond's trying to stop. Could I be more meh about this? <laughs> <laughs> Just yawn. That would have been a great scene. He's trying to take over mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. Eh, let him have it. Uh, so I've got two more on here that I struggle all the time, whether they're on the meh list or on the bad list. And today I ended up with them on the bad list. And this is another thing that, like we've talked about already, it could go either direction depending on my mood, what I've watched recently, how I feel about it. So uh, the next one is going to be Tomorrow Never Dies. This is, and, uh, this is uh, the meh list, right? This is in the yes. middle. Okay. No, this is this is my bad list. Okay, so should I get to my middle now? No, we're doing the bads. The other ones you did were the bad ones. Yeah, these are all the bads. Oh, I'm confused. All right, well, these are all my these are all my least favorite Bond films. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really, you thought I liked Moonraker? <laughs> well, now I'm going to feel real silly when I get to mine. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's fine. So, um. I've got the Tomorrow Never Dies on here, and like I said, I flip back and forth whether it, it's at the bottom of the meh list or at the top of the least favorites list. It has things going for it. It's got great action scenes. Um, has Michelle Yeoh, who I'm always a fan of, kicking ass. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Um, Brosnan in that film goes even a little further than Goldeneye and starts embodying in a very intense confidence as Bond, which suits him very well. Mm-hmm. However, the plots, the pacing... It's all painfully mundane. The idea of a media mogul starting World War III by creating headlines is kind of trite. Jonathan Price Uh. is extremely unthreatening as a villain. The guy's about as threatening as a Muppet. I love the guy. He's a fantastic actor, but threatening he is not. So uh, that unfortunately ends up on my bad list. Followed, unfortunately, again by The World Is Not Enough, which could have gone either way. It's got, I mean, it, it's, it's got a duo of well-acted villains. You've got Sophie Marceau. You've got her henchman. Um, uh, crap, his name's not coming to me. Um, uh, I don't remember. I know who you're talking about, though. Um, yeah. Hold on. I got it. Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Yeah. Robert Carlyle. Um, and, I mean, you've got some great talent right there. It's got a great twisting plot, um, but unfortunately, in the end, it seems caught between the grounded version of Bond and Goldeneye and kind of a desperate need to maybe relive the antics of Moore's later offerings. And then they start saddling Bond with Denise Richards, which kills any chance this had of ending up in the med list for me right now. (laughs) Whatever credibility it was going for, it lost it with that right there. So now I'll head into my two least favorites of all time. Second least favorite, at least it's not my complete worst Bond film on my list, but Die Another Day. 
die another day, they gave in to that need to relive the slapstick antics and weirdness. We're going to talk a little bit more about that one, too. The plot is all over the place. Um, I think another big reason the movie suffers is that the studio very much wanted to make a spinoff with Halle Berry's Jinx character. And whenever a studio goes into a film with the idea that they're going to make a spinoff because a pop character is going to be popular, that character never ends up being popular. You're right. You're right. They don't... In fact, the entire movie ends up feeling like you're having something thrust in your face that you didn't want. Yep. I agree. And I've got nothing against Halle Berry. I've got nothing against her performance. It just I found the character uninteresting and not well written. I didn't find any reason I'd want a spinoff of her character. She just wasn't interesting enough for that um down throwing in the other weird things in there like you know i mean what can i say you've got a film where bond is escaping a melting ice castle in a rocket snowmobile as the castle is being destroyed by a giant laser from space if you need any other reasons why this is one of my least favorite bond films that's it right there oh man (laughs) that scene is enough for me to throw it to the bottom. <laughs> and my absolute least favorite Bond film of all time, George Lazenby famously turned down a seven-picture deal from 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And while they shopped for other actors, the studio insisted that Connery be lured back with a then-record $1.25 million salary. Unfortunately, that salary was for Diamonds Are Forever. The stakes in the film just never seem high enough for Bond to be involved. I mean, diamond smuggling. Let's take a look at this. Double O agents are highly trained assassins. Why does this warrant a double O? Great point. Oh, they're going to start tanking diamond prices. Okay, again I ask, why does this warrant the attention of your premier double O agent? I don't get it. Um, I like to picture yeah. George Lazenby in the theater watching that going, I was right! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stakes are bad, the stakes are low, the danger is forced, the henchmen, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, are almost as silly as Jimmy Dean playing a villain. <laughs> Just oh, and right. the particular underwhelming quality of Jill St. John's uninteresting Tiffany Case character. All right, she's just let's put it this way: she's one of the Bond girls that I just want to not show up on the screen again because I really don't want to hear anything out of her. The character is just so annoying. <laughs> yeah. And if that in any way comes across as chauvinistic or misogynist, that is not my intent. There are plenty of Bond girls I do like, and we'll get to those. (laughs) Well, the more interesting ones are the ones that actually do something. And I don't, you're right. There was, it just. Cough, cough, Michelle Yeoh. Cough, cough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So now I, are we ready to go here? I actually have. Give us uh, your worst. I have less on my worst list than you do. Uh, but we're actually going to kind of discuss that. I mean, why that could be here in a few minutes. Now, uh, I actually, of, of the ones I truly do not like, I only count four of them. And I'm going to give them in descending order. Number, uh, the fourth least favorite of the Bond films, ones I truly do not like, is Octopussy in 1983. And, 
I want to talk about these two. I did include Never Say Never Again in this list of the ones I don't like. Now, here's... And the reason I did that is... Uh, so you're a James Bond fan, right? And it's I, I 1983. Am. And you're sitting here going, and anyone who's a James Bond fan, like, this is awesome. We got two James Bond films coming out with the two guys who are the two best James Bond fans. And then what you end up getting are two <laughs> garbage movies. One's um, a remake of Thunderball. <laughs> never say never again. You know, one of these days, I want to know more about why this all happened. I'm not interested right now, but you're right. I won't tell the, you then. <laughs> yeah, well, give me a second here. Maybe I do want to know. Um, it's nothing more than a cut and paste Thunderball. You're right. It begs the question. Well, it, it is a remake of Thunderball because yeah. they lost the license to Thunderball. So, and so another company snapped it up and made it and lured Sean Connery back into it. That's the gist of it. By driving what I assume is a truck full of money up to his uh, house, and so of they course cast, he's not made of stone. <laughs> so they cast a guy I refuse to believe was not Phil Collins as the villain. Um, <laughs> And it's a remake of Thunderball. So my question is this. Is Sean Connery the only man in movie history to star in the exact same movie as the exact same character in two different releases decades apart? I guess you only live twice. Um, Okay. And then on the other side, Roger Moore fans were treated with Octopussy. Because that was really great. Uh, By this point... Roger Moore had solidified himself as a worthy successor to Connery. He grew immensely popular as James Bond. But now, so you're like, I don't know. You came out of 1983 going, is there going to be any more James Bond? Because we took the two guys who played James Bond and literally crapped all over James Bond. Both of them did. And I'm going to agree with you. My other one of my number two least favorite of all time is Diamonds Are Forever. Now, here's the thing. Throughout the years, Roger Moore takes a beating for those who hate the goofy James Bond era. But that started here. Absolutely, it started here. Like the self-aware, like James Bond, people know who he is. Like random people just... Because there was the scene in there where that... Uh, what's her name? The Bond girl? I don't remember. The one you hated? The character name or the actress name? Either one. We know <laughs> Tiffany you're Tiffany Case was the character. Yeah, so she she something happens to a guy, and he had switched the the cards, and she goes, "Oh my god, I just killed James Bond!" And he's like, "That's who that is." How does she? Why would she know who James Bond is? So I mean, that whole goofy sight gag it actually begins before Roger Moore. It started with Sean Connery. Oh, agree, one hundred percent. Now, my least favorite of all time. Mark, do you want to take a guess? No. (laughs) It's one you already mentioned. It's one I already mentioned. Is it it Die Another Day? It is Die Another Day, 2002. You know, it actually began really promisingly. Brosnan's Bond, captured between North and South Korea, held as a condemned captive, tortured for info as the opening credits began. But then, but then, the moment Madonna's Die Another Day, by far the worst Bond song. I would disagree with that, but I'm not saying I love it either. (laughs) Randomly, in the middle of that song, she goes, Sigmund Freud! That is just weird. <laughs> yeah. And, a, and this is the opening to a Bond film. So we want Bond 
to reference Sigmund Freud. It's like the least James Bond thing you could do. Um, at this point, though, I mean, we talked about, you know, how in World is Not Enough. It's, the, the pieces are there. Brosnan's working his butt off. But then it just, it didn't work. Um, but at this point, but Brosnan, I mean, like I said, he's working his butt off. He, he tries to save that movie. After, like, Madonna songs starts and then the Ice Castles, there's nothing Brosnan can do at this point. Uh, none of his heroics are going to be enough to salvage the last moments of his career, which saw him sky surfing on a cockpit uh, canopy to, and then surfing back to the ice island. And, by the way, this is not 1970. This is 2002. Um, it should not have ended like this for Pierce Brosnan. He got done wrong. And that is my least favorite of all the Bonds. I don't blame you. <laughs> so, so, let's, uh, so now I'm really excited about this next segment. Because we've talked about our least favorite Bond films. So now we're going to go into, following this segment, those that are sort of in the middle, and then eventually we're going to get to our top ten. But before we get to that, Mark, can we just say the James Bond films are not the most sophisticated in terms of story and plot line? They sort of have always like had a reputation for great action and great stunts, like what's the next great stunt? So my question becomes, they're sort of like assembly line movie productions to a degree and i'm trying not to be uh dismissive uh, of this or reductive but it is true right villain stage absolutely bond's gotta go in okay put the pieces on the assembly line let's get this thing going so what's the what distinguishes a good one from a bad one well in compiling these lists specifically my top 10 and my least favorites and then, you know, to some extent, the med list, um, I identified, I think there are three things, I think, for me at least, and I think this is going to be different in everybody's eye. Everybody has something that they think makes a Bond film. I know people that swear the slapstick comedy is what makes a Bond film. And, um, so, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. It's all individual. But I think the three things for me are, one, the movie has to take itself to some degree seriously. Okay. Bond can make snarky comments or a sarcastic quip killing somebody, but the plot itself should take itself seriously. When it goes off the rails and it starts doing silly stuff like sky surfing or dressing him as a clown because it's visually funny, we have problems. When they try to make nods and winks to the audience like that to make people laugh with something visually, we get problems. Number two, I've already touched on this, but the stakes have to be high enough. When we have things like diamond smuggling operations or flooding Silicon Valley, I sit there and wonder, why is Bond involved in this? This doesn't seem like it should be his problem. <laughs> You've got a very specialized surgical scalpel, and you're throwing it at a brick wall. <laughs> it just does not... When the plots are more mundane, they just don't ring true like they would warrant an international super spy's attention, and it bothers me. Uh, number three, the villains need to be menacing. I can think of several examples where a Bond film falls apart because I don't think the villain was threatening. 
I don't think their plot was threatening. I don't think they were threatening. I don't think their henchmen were threatening. <laughs> and I have some comments on some of those later, but those, those are for me the three things I think that when they miss those marks, plunges a Bond film really out of the good zone. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. It, it doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with the lead actor at this point. I mean, no, I don't, I mean, has, I, I can't really point to any of the six that have turned in a terrible performance. No, no. I mean, it just seems like, you know, they, they, they're not the architects. They're, they just, they got to do what they're told <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. I, the blame for these fall on the writers and right. studio interference. I'm sure at that point, mm-hmm. um, sometimes a director's vision maybe will mar it. But. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. When you think about like something like when you said the, you were talking about Tomorrow Never Dies as the, the villain just wasn't menacing. You're right, but I at least remember him. I just watched Die Another Day last year. I still can't remember the villain for that one. Um, I can't remember the villain's name, but I only remember it's Toby Stevens because I really like him. And I could not believe when we rewatched it that it was him because um, he was on Black Sails on Stars, which I really loved. Uh, Lost in Space on Netflix. Um, He's, he's actually the son of Maggie Smith. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And uh, well, yeah, if you look, know who he is. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, he's a great actor. I love the guy. And when we saw him in that, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Jay, you want to just keep that off your resume in the future, right, buddy? <laughs> yes, I helped end the once promising career of Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's get into our... The middle of the the middle of the road, right here, right uh, the meh, as you're calling it. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll start in here, and these are in literally no order. Mm-hmm. Um, these are just these are films that they do their job. They're serviceable Bond film, but they neither they don't stand out from the pack in either being excellent or being horrible for me. They're just kind of there and filler. So uh, I'm going to start with On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I think there's just a few little things that keep it off my top 10 list. And one of those being the unpolished performance of George Lazenby, where if he had done a second movie, it probably would have ended up in my top 10 list. (laughs) But, um, you know, it has a lot going for it. It does have uh, a great performance by Telly Savalas as Blofeld. He's suitably menacing in the role. Odd choice, but it works. I was, yeah, now I saw that at the beginning. I'd only, I should point out that I had never seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service before early last year. Yeah, I watched it a long time ago. And, uh, it was, it was one of the only, it was actually the only Bond film I had never seen. And uh, I'd heard a lot of crap about it. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. It was way better than I expected. Uh, some great action scenes. I thought Lazenby did a decent job. The final line of his at the end of the film, I don't, think connery could have pulled it off as as convincingly as he did he did a good job with the ending however um despite an awesome ski chase and some other things there's some underwhelming slow pacing lazenby needs a hell of a lot of work but i am going to give a huge shout out to diana rigg as one of my favorite bond girls just because as per usual for characters she plays uh she's tough she's smart she's capable she's everything i want from a bond girl I don't want eye candy. I want somebody who can do the job too. Isn't that a bit of a misconception uh, in the general public that the Bond girls are eye candy? But I think there are definitely those examples in the Bond. But a lot of them, but a lot of them, I'd say the vast majority are, like you said, very capable. Yeah, there are far worse in a lot of areas too. 
like a there there are some that are threat. very much eye candy mm-hmm. and then there are some that are very much capable you know counterparts to bond and a big threat too indeed um next i'm going to go with thunderball 1965 uh directed by terence young who also directed dr no and from russia with love it's an interesting plot where specter crashes a bomber in the ocean and uh, they're trying to retrieve the nuclear weapons it was carrying it's a good setup. It's a good story. Uh, you got a great villainous performance by Italian actor Adolfo Sili and the absolutely drop-dead gorgeous Claudine Auger as Domino. And it's kind of undermined by a slew of tedious underwater action scenes. And I get the feeling that at that point in time, being able to film underwater like that was something new and unique. But today... They're kind of showstoppers that, you know, not in the good way, but in that the movie comes to a screeching halt every time something happens underwater because it happens every 15 minutes or so. There's some kind of slow underwater firefight. There's a slow underwater chase. There's a slow underwater this. There's a slow underwater that. It's it's another one where I think it could have easily been in my top 10 list if those underwater scenes didn't just grind it to a halt every time they happen. They just go on for too long, and it seems like maybe they were a little in, too in love with the idea of doing it. As they say in uh, Jurassic Park, a little too concerned with whether or not they could to think about whether or not they should. So, unfortunately, Thunderball falls a little less than top ten for me. Uh, next up on my list, 10th Bond film, 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. And uh, it's a good film. It's not a great film for me. It's got a interesting plot i'll say maybe just oddball involving a rich megalomaniac who wants to start world war three to destroy the world and start an underwater civilization while he hangs out in the legion of doom headquarters underwater um yeah i'm not sure about that it's the introduction of richard keel's jaws who i kind of enjoy even though he's not in the novels he's an interesting um oddball assassin character in this film before they completely ruined him for me in Moonraker. (laughs) In uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, he's at least interesting and a fun henchman. Um, I also really love the beginning of the film, the fake-out with the Soviet agent Triple X, where they show you a man and a woman in bed, and you are absolutely convinced it's going to be the well-built man, and it turns out it's the girl who is their premier secret agent. I love that. The um, undermining of the expectation there worked really well for me, and I thought that was great. But overall, the goofy plot line, just keep it from my top ten list as well. Next, I'm going to go into Timothy Dalton's first outing in 1987 with uh, The Living Daylights. Uh, Bond helps a defecting Soviet general escape the KGB. Turns out it's a sham. The general is in league with an American arms smuggler played by Joe Don Baker. And um, he's evading Russian authorities. And let's just say Joe Don Baker is a nut job. The plot is slow and kind of boring. And there is a murderous milkman. I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, at least we don't see any more (laughs) of Joe Don Baker in the James Bond franchise. No, not at all. That never happens. (laughs) Uh, Next, I'm going to go with the 22nd Bond film in 2008, Quantum of Solace, the second outing by Daniel Craig. I see this show up in a lot of people's hated lists i don't think it warrants that i don't think it's horrible but neither is it great no it's it's 
I think a lot of people put it on their hate list because it's an underwhelming follow-up to one of the best Bond films out there. And if you judge it on its own merits, it's a fun action movie. However, it just falls a little shy of the uh, heights set by its predecessor. I mean, it's the same writers as Casino Royale. You've got Paul Haggis, Neil Purvis, and Robert Wade. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Um, I think it falls into the same trap maybe that License to Kill did because it turns into sort of a revenge flick. And that doesn't seem to work for Bond. For me, at least, anyway. Um, I, I just don't think it seems... Especially for in, Daniel Craig's Bond. It doesn't seem in character for him to go through all this, especially... Well, in, in Timothy Dalton's outing in a revenge flick, it seemed convoluted and stupid. We could have just killed the guy at any time because he's freaking James Bond. Um, Daniel Craig falls into a different trap with it where it's just a string of clues leading him across the globe and it just feels like a bad video game that's a string of fetch quests until you get to the end credits. So it's, I think that's why it doesn't work for me. On top of that, um, I have this problem when movie studios decide somebody's the next big thing and they're like in every movie being shoved in my face and Olga Kirilenko at the time was that person. <laughs> So it always left a bad taste in my mouth that I was I never thought she was that great, but she got shoved into pretty much every movie in like a five year period. <laughs> Which was funny enough that I just saw her show up in Black Widow. <laughs> yeah. So uh that was my next. And then uh I would also I'm gonna call out Quantum of Solace though, uh counterpointing what you said about Madonna being the worst Bond theme. For me, it's Another Way to Die by uh, Jack White and Alicia Keys. I actually like two, that one. <laughs> two artists that I really like, and somehow I got what is, to me, just noise pollution. It's screechy. It's bad. I don't like it. <laughs> it's easily my least favorite Bond theme. Uh, next, I'm going to go with Spectre, and I'm not going to elaborate too much on this because I saw it once in the theater. I thought it was another one where I thought it was a serviceable action film, but didn't really stand out from the pack. Um, considering I've only seen it once, I don't remember much of what it was about, except that I like Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. I should probably watch that again before I see the new one. Considering characters repeating and all. And then I'll finish up with Live and Let Die, our first outing in 1973 by Sir Roger Moore. Which, I think that's another one that teeters on the edge for me for being into the top ten or oh. being in the mez. And I think what usually pushes it into the meh for me is whoever at the studio thought that the Hick Sheriff was a great idea and an amusing piece. Um, I thought <laughs> it, it was interesting at the time, being 1973, and given our social situation, that they decided to push buttons based on the activism of the militant black panthers at the time and making the villains black um in retrospect that seems a bit crass however looking at it from a positive standpoint i have to say that what i respect about that movie of all the organizations bond has faced the african-american community in that film is three steps ahead of him at every turn and foils him at every opportunity <laughs> So kind of two two sides of that coin there. I, I I look back on it, looking at watching it last year, and I saw that and I was like, you know, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> they they might be the most potent adversaries he ever faced. 
So uh, that would be the end of my ML list. All right, so mine, in no particular order, I have Moonraker 1979. You said it best. This is a very bizarre entry, but it's it's a fun watch. It really is. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. This one has grown on me over time. I love the scenes with Bond and Q in this movie. Uh, License to Kill in 1989, the film that makes me wish we could have gotten more of Dalton as Bond because this one wasn't the best. Uh, I'll, I'm going to go with you on uh, Quantum of Solace in 2008. Craig really hasn't turned into Turkey, but this one's the least of his films that I've seen so far. And Spectre 2015, pretty much the same thing. It barely charts ahead of Solace for me. Again, nothing terribly wrong with it. Also, nothing terribly memorable about it. Um, Live and Let Die 1973. Ar- Roger Moore arrives, as a, and it's fun to watch him running around New Orleans. Uh, I love that as a backdrop for a Bond film. It just seems to fit. I don't know why. And it seems to fit Roger Moore's Bond for whatever reason. Uh, the oh, Living yeah. Day, the whole Louisiana swamp setting in New Orleans is fantastic. There. Yeah. Uh, the Living, absolutely great setting for a Bond yeah, film. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, the Living Daylights in 1987. Dalton arrives to bring us a more serious, grounded Bond. And also a car chase uh, with an Aston Martin on skis. But um, you got to love riding a cello case down a mountain. Come on. Yeah. Once again, the more serious grounded bond with these elements involved. And we're, we were upset with Roger Moore for all the crap that he went through. Wait, what were we talking about? Right, 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 right. Uh, 1967, You Only Live Twice. Socially, this one doesn't age too well, but the volcano mm. secret base amazed me when I was a kid. Villains have had secret layers ever since. And Thunderball, 1965, we spoke off-air about the length of the underwater scenes. But this was probably really groundbreaking. And audiences probably had never seen anything like this in color before. Um, so I guess it's forgivable for that, but you're right. It does, it does have a bit of a tedious feel to it. Um, I will say that I do have an honorable mention for my top ten when we get to it. It's one that didn't that's kind of hovered between these two so i just sort of put it in between and that's skyfall in 2012 and i can understand that and it just just sort of (laughs) hovers between the two um and it's funny like when i go to my top 10 skyfall skyfall could end up like in the top three or it could and it ends up here so that is uh so there we go we've gone through uh, by my count about 15 of these bond films and it's interesting of the ones you mentioned uh, when we get to our top 10 i don't think i think that it's going to be real real really interesting to go through that top 10 and i'm i'm excited when we get to it that uh what you will think of some of the entries i have but before we wrap this up i do want to uh i wanted to get back to what we were doing before yeah absolutely and uh that was the time yeah you're right you're right um i have to scroll back up here here we go Okay, so uh, I went to Sean Connery. Let's just do a quick recap. That's Dr. No from Russia with Love. Goldfinger Thunderball, You Only Live Twice. On Her Majesty's Secret Service was not him. That's Lazenby. And then Diamonds Forever. So you have, uh, he's five for six. He is five five for six for me, yeah. Six. I have him as five for six as well. Lazenby, Bat a Thousand. Um, Let's go to Dalton's two entries. Uh, and we, we kind of, this might be a little bit difficult, but all right. So living daylights ended up in your meh. Um, so he's and license to kill was on my bad. Okay. So you have him as uh one, for one, for two. one, one for two. One for two. Yeah. One for two. He's one for two. Roger Moore. Here you go. 
Um, live and let die. It's okay. Man with the golden gun. Good. Spy who loved me. Yep. Moonraker. Nope. <laughs> Moonraker. So that is one, two, three, four. All right. Um, for your eyes only. Yep. It's five. Octopussy. Nope. And view to a kill. Nope. So you have Roger Moore at three of the, of those you don't like. So you have him as Maybe four. He did ten. <laughs> he did seven. Seven. Uh, he's four for. <laughs> I'm seven. trying to give him more credit than he has. Uh, four for seven. Uh, I think I can. I think I know this one. Anyway. Well, actually, no. Let's let's let's, let's, let's get it because I want to see where or mine ended up. Um, mm-hmm. Brosnan. Uh, Goldeneye. He's one for four with me. Yeah, he's one for four with me too. Even though um, two of them sort of fall on my eh list, if I have yeah. to be honest, he's one. They're, they're, and I think it has to do with that one is so good that even though I didn't have uh, Die Another Day is my least favorite of all time, the other two don't really belong in that category. And Daniel Craig, I'd say he's at least two for four. Probably you could you could make them four for four. You can make them. See, I'm giving four. I'm giving a positive to the Mez, so it's four for four for me. So you have him as four for four. He doesn't um, have any that I hate <laughs> or okay. dislike. All right, so I would probably have him at so far. I would, and here's why. I mean, even though uh, Solace and Spectre end up on my meh list, I still have him at two for four because there's such a gap. Between right. the two and the other two. Like, the Skyfall and Casino Royale are so good. And the other are, are so average that I would actually put him at two and four. So, not surprisingly, um, I think Sean Connery here is the one who uh, really turned in the most. I mean, he's got, I would say, Lazenby is a misnomer because he's batting a thousand. He only did the one. But Connery's five for six for both of us. Um, yeah, and I'll tell you that, you know, going into rewatching the films with my previous prejudice imparted on me by my father's viewpoint, I'm really surprised looking at that, that uh, Roger Moore bats over 500 for me. Yeah, he did. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, it is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I, it's uh, OK. So the, the last thing we have to talk about is, is it time for is, is it time for Craig to go? Is it it's, uh, time to wrap it up for him? I think so. I, I think this should be the last outing if he announces he's coming back again. I think at this point I'm just going to be disappointed because I kind of want some new blood. Um, I don't want to see them persist Craig into the point they did with Roger Moore. I mean, I don't think it would come off the same because slapstick bond isn't exactly Craig's idea of uh, it, but um, no. <laughs> I don't see that ever happening. <laughs> but um, I don't know. He He's left and come back so many times now. <laughs> That um, I don't know. I, I think it's time for a new face. Okay, I really do. now that this is officially his last one, unless like something dramatically occur, dramatic occurs, right? Like you know, right? All right. So, who's your who's your bond? Who's coming up? Who do you want? There's there's so many good choices now. I mean, I think when we talked about this last year, the ones on the table were. Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, Richard Madden, and Tom Hiddleston. And I think my 
opinion on those four at the time was still the same as it is now if they were in the I know Andrew Selva's dropped out because he thinks he's too old for the role. That's a shame. But um, I think any of those four, I win. I don't okay. think anybody there would be horrible. I mean, Idris Elba would be fantastic. I don't. I am not beholden to Bond being a white guy in the slightest. I think he would be fantastic in that role, and maybe my top choice of those four. I think Richard Madden from Game of Thrones and Eternals uh, would be very good as a Bond. He's a solid actor. I think he could pull it off after watching uh, Bodyguard from BBC. He was very good there. I think uh, Tom Hiddleston. People just see him as Loki, but if you watch. The Night Manager, uh, it's a miniseries. It's basically a three-hour-long audition for him to play James Bond. <laughs> and he's quite good in it. And then you can see him jacked in Kong Skull Island if you want that look. So <laughs> then, uh, I don't know. It's just I feel like Tom Hardy's probably the weakest of the choices for me just because I don't think he feels like Bond, but I still think he'd do a hell of a job. Um, I'm not even sure who's on the roster in the odds odds right now. Have there been new ones added since then? I've been really paying attention. Uh, I really wouldn't know. I, it's not something I, I find particularly interesting. What about the? Does it have to be? I mean, there's obviously a lot of rumors uh, that it's not going to be a man. It's going to be a woman. In fact, they're saying she's already there. Uh, what do you make of Lashana Lynch? I mean, we considering know I. It's just a code. I haven't right? seen the movie yet, so I can't really judge. But I mean, if she does it well and she acts the role, I'm willing to bend to that. I'm I'm not beholden to those ideas. Does it have to be a Brit? Um, I think Bond has to be a Brit. That is something I am pretty adamant about. I don't think it would be right for an American. I disagree completely on that. And uh let me let me throw a couple of names at you. Um yeah, you're going to go the superhero route, I know. <laughs> yeah, who's playing Superman right now? Yeah, well, I know. we don't really know, I guess. He you're going to go he... Superman, you're going to go Spider-Man, you're going to go... Well, thank you for stealing, stealing my thunder on that, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if Superman can be played by a Brit, then James Bond can be played by... He's already been Australian and Irish. What's the big deal? I mean, it's one of those things where... If I mean, if you're sitting in the movie and you're watching it and the and the, the acting's great and the story's good, are you going to walk out of the theater going, it was awesome, but he's, he's, he was not Brit, so two of them already haven't no. been. Absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, I'm going to be honest and say that if they do a good job and they embody Bond, I'm not going to have a problem with it. But from a pre-production standpoint, I believe it should be a Brit. Just like every time they're casting Superman, I believe it should be an American. <laughs> Well, <laughs> but I don't hold that against the final actor if it's still good. So. <laughs> I mean, we've had uh, we have two British Batman, we had two British Spider Man, we got a British Superman. So I mean, at this point, they owe us Bond, right? <laughs> now I'm just gonna throw out a wild card there, Martin Short. Think on it for a while. It, it's almost like you delved into my mind and found the actor I hate most. I am. I love Martin Short. Martin Short. I don't know what it is. And I was. I, I. I knew that's why you hated him. So I threw his name out there. But I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I, for me, it's because I think he comes across way too obnoxious for me, and yeah. has that attitude that bugs me about some comedians, where I don't feel he's near as funny as he thinks he is. That's obviously there's like, there's like a hubris to the comedy that I don't like. The rails on this one. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, this is a lot of fun. Um, there's more to come eventually. Someday we'll get to part one of this, which we were already, it's been almost 18 months since we uh, tried to do this the first time. So, but this was good. I, the, you know, with so many of these Bond films out there, I got really interested, you know, when I was uh, sitting there going over my top 10, I'm like, but how much different is this one? from any of the other ones <laughs> what what sets the top 10 apart from those that i mean because like which which bond film are you watching are you watching the one with the villain who tries to take over the world or end the world and bond has to stop him yeah that's the one <laughs> i mean well, it's pretty much the same but it's it's so i mean I, but you you really don't want it any other way Speaking of oddball choices, though, I meant to ask you when we were discussing our least favorite Bond films, and I just never got around to it. How would you have felt if Adam West had been James Bond? Because he was up for that role. I know. And you know, it's funny. That's something I have for my top 10 is that was one of those rumors that I think it was so easy to disbelieve. And then I watched a documentary where that is confirmed and it kind of blew my mind. Like, really? Was it at the top three were Adam West, Clint Eastwood, and Burt Reynolds, and they all turned it down because they thought Bond should be a Brit? Well, yeah, and it, it's and it's funny when you look at that. Like, it's funny when you think about it. But of the three of those guys, and that during the time in which Bond he would have been playing Bond, it's in the Roger Moore era. You're kind of like, is it really that hard to see him? <laughs> no, it really isn't. Out of those three, I would admit that you know, if Diamonds Are Forever had featured Adam West and he just you know was just did his thing, got had a had a personal trainer, and just looked a little more Bond, I think he's easily the best choice of those three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I it's it's that was one of those things that first of all that it was true, and that he turned it down. I mean, and by the way, if it was during Diamonds Are Forever during the Roger Moore era, you're like, that's probably a good move. <laughs> I mean, if he was yep, trying just... to escape the Batman thing, it was probably a good move. That, that is interesting. I'm glad you asked me that. I was, I was. Uh... Yeah, I know you're a big West fan. I, oh, I yeah. mean, I I wasn't a big fan of the Batman series, but I am a huge fan of Adam West, the man. So oh, yeah. he's uh, a yeah, he was he was a good guy. It's still, it's still when you think about that, of all the people that have been offered the role, you, you, when you go down the list, like Adam West. <laughs> it's it's really the oddball choice, right? Yeah, it really is. But boy, boy, what kind of stones did they have to offer it to him? Like, we're gonna go from Connery to Adam West. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if there's anything like I wish I could go back and have happen, that is near the top of the list. The things that we almost got, that's got like, and I, I am very. Are you? Aren't you curious to know what movie was it? Or did they even know that at that point? Like, what was what were the plans? If he had said yes, was it Diamonds Forever? Because it, it was Diamonds Are Forever. It, those three were offered it for Diamonds Are Forever. When they turned it down, they started hunting more, and then the studio insisted on getting Connery back. Okay, that's so yeah, it, it was Diamonds Are Forever. Okay, because I was gonna say it wouldn't. I mean, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's so interesting to feel like that doesn't as great a movie as that is. I can't envision anyone but Lazenby as as slightly above average as he is in that movie i the the way that movie is constructed it doesn't seem to work with at that point sean connery's james bond would have been like grizzled veteran near the end of his career kind of which i don't think works for on her majesty's secret service um 
And Roger Moore, let's be honest, he was already old. Er, he was older than Connery to begin with. So it's it's weird to think. So it was Diamonds Are Forever. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, don't I could think actually that... see Connery um, working in on Her Majesty's Secret Service in most parts. I think you just need to make some tweaks to maybe the writing. Right. Because the whole idea of him maybe wanting to leave and fall in love and have a life being yeah. burnt out makes a little sense if you just retweak it a little bit. Yeah, you might be right. It, it was interesting, but yeah, that's a boy. That's a that's a big wild card. You know what? What could have been Adam West? <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of have this image in my head of seeing like you know almost like a cutaway scene from Family Guy with Adam West or something with him like looking through scripts on his desk from an agent at that point in time, you know, and just like okay, what have we got here? And we've got what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, he's stop. I could just picture the stopping dead with a bond offer going, wait, what? All right. I got to try this. I got to try this. I, ha- I haven't dusted off my impression in a while. The name's Bond. James Bond. <laughs> when he meets Blofeld, you evil, dastardly fiend. Not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll work on that for, for the... Uh... I think already, uh, if if this is going to happen, he's already my at least my seventh favorite Bond. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm glad we got to do this. I know we got more to come someday, maybe when they announce the next uh, James Bond or the next movie comes out. Yeah, well, sooner or later, we're going to go around to giving everybody our top ten list. So yes. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> well, um, why don't you give us, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give us your best James Bond sign-off. My best James Bond sign-off. Any double entendre or... Oh, yeah, you really did put me on the spot. Funny (laughs) one-liner. Yeah, I'm not good at those off the top of my head. I'm good at making shit up, but not those. And we just (laughs) lost our (sighs) family-friendly... I'm good at making stuff up. I said stuff. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but hey, you know, um, we got a lot of good stuff coming on the panel scanners, though. Uh, Next month is, I believe, am I right about this? Your very first retroactive review. Um, Am I? Wow, am I up for that already? Jeez. You are up for that. I will (laughs) confirm this for you here in a second, because I'm interested to see what you're going to do. That's one of my favorite things that we do anyway. So, holiday special. Why can I not find it? Here we go. Yeah, so next month, here's what we're doing in November, everybody, just so uh, we can get this going. We're going to do What's Under the Tree 2021. And what this is, is that we've been blessed in this world of pop culture over the past few years, especially since this podcast began way back in 2012, with resurrections, reboots, debuts. But I'm curious as to, for the five of us, what has yet to materialize? Because we live in a world in which Michael Keaton is returning as Batman soon. We got a TV series from the Dark Crystal. So what possibly could be out there that we haven't got yet? So we're talking from anything from comics to games, TV, movies, action figures, any forms of memorabilia. What would we be? What, what would we love to see under the proverbial panel scanner's Christmas tree? And then... We'll also be talking about a holiday-themed segment that Matt has yet to give us yet. So, Matt, come on, man. we got to get going on that. 
Uh, we're actually going to uh, update, uh, I think, Phil, myself, and Gary, going to update on Stick Stuck Pick Sinar, all the comics we've been reading. And, yeah, Mark, you're on the holiday-themed retroactive review. So any ideas of what you're going to be doing? No, I'm going to have to think about that hard tonight. I, I, I might have some inklings floating around, but I'm not going to tip my hand just yet. Well, I'm excited because uh, I know you and I, when we dive into this stuff, we have very similar approaches to how we sort of process these things. And then, don't forget in December, this is another good thing we got coming. It's our our annual end-of-the-year awards, um, which are titled the Panel Scanners End-of-the-Year Awards. We've got some good cab- categories coming. And a lot of these things I'm going to, uh, I think, we do one show that's very heavily on comics, but the first show is more about the media and uh, the TV shows and the movies and the video games. So we have the biggest all-encompassing, uh, biggest all-encompassing moment. So it's that one moment from our from our little uh, radar that sticks out to you personally the most. That was the thing that you're going to remember most for 2021. And then your favorite on-screen villain, favorite on-screen hero. Uh, favorite comic book related adapted TV show or movie. Very flexible there. Rest in peace character. Rest in peace title could be a TV show. Things that are game or something that ended. Something that was canceled. And then of course we'll get into our comic book. End of the year comic book uh, awards. For the end of the year. All the stuff that we've been reading. Um, and then one of my favorite shows in January. And Mark, I'm glad you're going to be joining us for this one. Because you'll it'll be the first time you're able to do the annual what you're looking forward to for 2022 everything oh, that's gonna be fun in the calendar year 2022 <laughs> that you are looking forward to and mark this one's all you in march finally after almost 10 years by this point we're going to get to our very first batman special oh yes 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 <laughs> so I look forward i'm to really this. excited there's a lot of good stuff coming um so get ready and uh that's about all i've got as phil would say mark anything uh, anything else you want to say before we wrap this sucker up no i'm just going to say that this was a lot of fun i'm always uh loving discussing james bond films especially with a good friend and uh can't wait to get back into it with everybody yeah right back at you hopefully all five of us will be around for these holidays uh holiday episodes and the end of the year awards can be a lot of fun until then enjoy your comics and uh Enjoy as many James Bond films as you can.